first is uh, death, and the second are taxes. Now, obviously, we could add a whole bunch more to that list of life's inevitabilities, but for today's purposes, I want to add just one more to that list. And try as you may to avoid it, and try as you may to put up defense mechanisms to protect you from it, and even deny that you're going through it, there's one thing that is inevitable in this lifetime, and is that all of us will suffer at some point or another. And over the last couple of weeks, I was reminded of that again and again a couple of weeks ago. In fact, it was two weeks ago to this day. We got home from church, and I got a call from my son-in-law, and he told me that a friend of theirs had, um, well, in fact, it was the gal who caught the bouquet at their wedding. Her fiancé called to tell him that something happened and he needed to talk to him. And so he called him back. There was a message on the answer machine and found out that that particular weekend, Chris was his name, he had just paid off their engagement ring. He was going to fly up to San Francisco where his fiancée-to-be was meeting with some friends for the weekend. It was her 32nd birthday and he was going to propose to her. And that particular night before he was to go up there, he got a phone call that she had come back from a mountain bike riding trip and had gotten sick at the house that she was staying at. And one thing led to the other and before they knew it, she had died of a heart attack. And, you know, I, I, you, you talk about getting shocked back into reality. Uh, I think many of us can relate to that. You know, you saw the, it, the experiences the last couple of weeks of the automobile accident in Southern California. And we find that, you know, there was one accident that killed four teenagers from Anaheim out in the Mojave Desert. And yet, this past week, there were two more young men who were killed sitting in the back seat of a car of a friend who was speeding down the road. You know, there's six teenagers that are, that, you know, they're dead. They're gone. All in the space of a couple of weeks. And that's just part of the suffering that people have to go through here on earth. You know, I talked to another friend whose marriage is falling apart and all the problems that it was causing with him and his wife and his children and their family and all their friends and everybody that's involved in surrounding that. You know, they're touched by that. They suffer through all of that. Another who's suffering with financial problems in their business. Another who got cut from a team that he was trying out for. Another sitting home yet unsigned. Another who had gotten injured. I mean, this was the last couple of weeks. And I'm sure that you can relate to the suffering that would go on with each one of those situations. And I'm sure if we had time, we could just go around the room and you could share with me your own personal suffering that you've had to endure. And uh, that's why it's so important as we study this subject of God's grace that we examine the grace that's available for those who find themselves hurting or suffering for one reason or the other. Grace for those who hurt. There's no study of God's grace that would be complete without seeing and coming to an understanding that God has a special love and an embracing grace for those who find themselves hurting from one thing or another. And if you're like most people, the question that hits first and lingers longest when confronted by painful experience is a very simple one, and it's one as I spoke at the funeral, I was reminded of it, but it's a question that you can't escape. And anytime you go through difficult times, it's real simple, but the question is simply, why? You know, why, why is this happening? As I spoke to this man who had his whole life planned out with this particular woman and couldn't wait till they got married and all the plans that they had. It was a very simple question, but it was a profound one, and that was simply why. You know, why is this happening? And I'm sure many of the parents and the friends and the family of the teenage boys who were killed are asking the same question, why? You know, why is this happening? Why me? 
It becomes real personal. Why now? I mean, of all times, I mean, why now? I, it, what's, what's the sense of the timing of all of this? And why this particular event? And we've all gone through it and we've all suffered and that's why it's critical that we understand what God's grace is all about. But maybe some of you feel like this particular woman who wrote this poem and you can relate to this. She said this, Lord, I'm drowning in a sea of perplexity and waves of confusion crash over me. I'm too weak to shout for help. Either quiet the waves or lift me above them because you know it's too late for me to learn how to swim. And we can relate to that. C.S. Lewis was quoted as saying that God whispers in our pleasures, but He shouts in our pain. And there's a lot of truth to that. Because basically the bottom line is, is that God, if you're going through difficult times in your life, for whatever reason you find yourself struggling, suffering, going through a tough time, what God is trying to do, what God is trying to say is, I want to get your attention. I need to get your attention. And I'll do whatever it takes in my love to get your attention. God whispers in our pleasures, but He shouts loud messages in pain. And as I spoke at the funeral, the question that really was the most important question of all is, what can we learn from death? And the question that I asked this morning as we look at this particular subject of God's grace, what can we learn from suffering? God is trying to teach us something. And what follows and what we'll discuss here today won't answer all of your whys. There's only one who can do that. Only God is capable of doing that. But what I want to try to do is, is give insight so that somehow or another we can take our eyes off of our suffering and the circumstances that we find ourselves in currently and to turn our eyes and to put our focus on God who can answer those questions. To look up into His face and if it's asking the question why, then ask Him why. Why me? Ask Him that. Why now? Ask Him that. Why this? Ask Him that. Ask Him whatever you want, but to turn your focus and your attention upon God because He's the one that can give you the answers. Because he's the one that wants to wrap you in the comfort of his grace, the Bible says, in our time of need. But before we can address the question of why do we suffer, there's a couple of things that I want to make mention to that kind of as a backdrop. And the first one is this. This is the first fact that we have to be aware of. We need to, pre we need to be prepared for suffering before it happens. Before it happens. You can't prepare for a crisis after it's already been there or after it's already hit you and you're unaware of what was going on and all of a sudden you wake up, you find yourself in the middle of a crisis. You can't prepare yourself for it. Proverbs 24.10 says this, if you're slack in the day of distress, then your strength is limited. The saying is, hey, you've got problems in your life and troubles come up and you're suffering for some reason and you find yourself falling apart, then guess what? Then you weren't prepared for it. You weren't prepared properly. And what God wants to do is say, hey, look, you know what? I, I want to make sure that in your time of distress, you are prepared to handle it. There will be strength for you to handle it. There will be comfort for you to handle it. My grace will be sufficient for you in your weakness. My strength will be perfected. You need to be prepared ahead of time. You can't wait till it happens and then say, okay, now I need to get prepared. It's too late. Like with Jeremiah 12, 5, he, he writes this. He says, you know what? If you've run with footmen and they've tired you out, then how in the world can you run with horses? If you fall down in the land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? You see what he's saying? If things are going tough for you now, and you're not really going through anything really difficult, and you're falling apart right now on a daily basis, and you don't have a clue what it's like, 
to find out that your son or your daughter had just died. You don't have a clue what it's like to deal with somebody that you just found out has some uh, terminal illness or that you just lost your job or some other crisis has happened in your life. Everything's going along relatively smoothly. You got a little ripple here or there and you think that you're falling apart. You know what? Some of us don't have a clue how difficult life can be because we've isolated ourselves from other people. But the more people that you're involved with and the more people that you touch and the more lives that you're involved in and you see what goes on around you, the more you realize, you know what? These aren't really problems that I'm facing. I'll show you a problem. Come with me and stand at the back of a church and try to comfort a mom whose 32-year-old daughter died of a heart attack. I'll tell you what. It puts everything back into focus, doesn't it? See, we think we're all going through difficult times, and we may be, and, and we're, it's important to understand that even though it may not be as difficult as something else going on for someone else, that God still cares. You need to be prepared ahead of time. I'll give me an example. I have a friend that talked me into running my first marathon, uh, and every day I think of him. Uh, but no, you know, it, 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 was, a, it was a wonderful experience. Because uh, obviously I was foolish enough to run a couple more afterwards, but the first one, was, it was great. Because he prepared me properly. And basically his counsel was, you can't be over-prepared. You can't run enough. You can't watch your diet enough. When it's Santa Ana winds are blowing, you get out and run. If you can't run during the day, then you run at night. If you can't run in the weekday, then you run on the weekends. And you better make sure that you run long distances on the weekends. You make sure you run 20-mile runs and 22-mile runs because the marathon's 26. And you better be ready for it because you can't over-prepare for something like that. And there's a place in, in the course of the race, it's called the wall. And it's about mile 22 to 24 where it's just like everything in your body falls apart for one reason or another. And there's a whole bunch of technical, psycho, uh, psychological, and also physical reasons and lactate acids and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And it, it's, it's kind of boring, but the bottom line is you see carnage all over the place. I mean, you see body parts laying, people laying. It's just an ugly sight, I mean, when you get to that. And so he was telling me, hey, when we get to this point, this is what's going to happen, so we need to be prepared for it. And sure enough, because of the preparation beforehand, when we got to that point, we saw people laying all over the place and bleeding and throwing up and all the other things you can imagine that would take place and heaving in, in the bushes and, oh, it was a fun time. And we ran through them all and it was like, hey, it's not happening to us. And man, I'll tell you what, that's a great feeling when you know that you've prepared properly for the adversity that was to come. Now that's what you can do in your own physical strength and, and by an act of human will. But let me just share something with you. How in the world can you prepare for the death of someone you love? What act of human will is possible to prepare for the death of someone you love? Or for the news that someone has terminal illness? or for news of some other tragedy that comes into your life? How can you prepare on an act of human will for something like that? And the answer is you cannot. And the only way we can be prepared for the, the distress and the suffering of this world is to have a right relationship with God before that time of trouble comes. And I see it. I can see it at a funeral. I can see those people who at some point in their life have bowed their knee and say, Lord, I can't do it on my own anymore. I believe you when you say that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe you when I say that I need him for my salvation and so that I'll be right with you. And I trust in him and I put my trust in him and I ask him to come into my life. 
at some point in their life that precedes that trouble, they make that decision, and the Bible says they become a child of God. And as I stand in a church and as I look at the family of people that have passed away, that have died, and I look into their eyes and I see the brother of this woman nodding his head in affirmation that, yeah, you know what, one day I will see her because I know where she is and I know whom I believed in. And I know that he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, abundantly beyond all that I'm able to ask or think. And I know that if she's absent from this body that she's present with the Lord because she put her trust and her hope in Jesus Christ. And I can look in his eyes and I see it and he's shaking his head and he's nodding and he comes up and he hugs me and he says, that's what they needed to hear. But sitting next to him is the mother and the father and the, and the brothers and the cousins and others who have never put their faith and trust in Christ. And you know what? And there's no comfort in anything that was spoken. There's no comfort. There's no relationship. The day of crisis has come and it, they weren't prepared for it. There's no comfort in that. And so we have to understand to be prepared for suffering. We must have a right relationship with God when there's not trials and troubles. Although trials and troubles can bring us to God. But on the other hand, why wait till then? Because His grace and His comfort will be there waiting for you. Because suffering is inevitable. The second thing is this. Whatever the affliction is, it's been appointed and approved by God. I don't think many of us understand that. And what a joy it is to be able to explain to somebody who knows God and the things of God to be able to say, you know what? She did not die prematurely. There was no what ifs. What if someone was there to help her? And what if she didn't go out on a bike ride? And what if this or that or the other thing? There are no what ifs in God's timetable. It is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. It's appointed. It is set in concrete for all of eternity. Before we even, were even born and before there was even one day that we've ever lived, God knows the day that he's appointed for us to die. Psalm 139. It's appointed by God. I like what Job says after he lost everything. He went through all this devastation. You talk about a man that understood suffering. This is what he said at the, at the end of all of it. And as friends of his came to him and pointed fingers at him saying, you know, there must be some sin in your life. You know, there must be something that you've done. You must deserve this somehow because after all, we all get what we deserve. So somehow you deserved it all. And he just looked at him and he said these amazing words of wisdom inspired by the Spirit of God. He says, he knows, God knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his path, and I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips, and I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is unique, and who can turn from him? And what his soul desires, that is what he does. There's a man that had a right relationship with God, and whatever happened in his life, he just basically said this, Hey, I'm not turning from him. Because I know him, and I know that he loves me, and I know that he allows this to happen in my life for whatever his purposes are. And right now, in the midst of all the suffering, I'm not even sure what they are, but I'll tell you this, I'm not turning my back on him. And he's unique, and there's nobody like him, and he does what he does for his reasons and for his purposes, and I can't wait to see how this is all going to turn out. And he goes on and he says this, and he performs what is appointed for me. Men and women, don't doubt this for one second. We must be prepared to suffer before the day of suffering, but we must also recognize this truth that God appoints for us those days. He may allow it to happen, or He may even cause it to happen, for we know this, that God causes all things to happen to the good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. We know that's a truth. 
And so as we look at this as backdrop, we're going to address the question, why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll go through verses 1 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. You know, what's interesting to me is that, you know, just the whole subject of suffering is something that I know most of us don't even want to have, we don't even want to talk about it. It's like, can you do something that we'll have a little more fun with? But the reality of all of it is, is that we all go through it. And we can't avoid it. And we need to be prepared for it. And there's great comfort in knowing what God has to say as he addresses the question of why do we suffer? In this particular letter, as we go through it, you'll, you'll find that it's a letter that's filled with affliction and persecution. If you go through sometime, and I did a few years ago, but just go through the whole uh, the book of 2 Corinthians and underline or circle all the words, that the words that have to do with affliction or persecution or suffering. And man, I'll tell you what, by the time you're done, you almost see there's, there's underline or circle words all over the place. This is a very personal letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth as he goes through personal times of suffering in his own life. And this is the words that not only does, does Paul write to that church, but it's an open letter that God has given to us, each one of us, as we deal with these areas of suffering in our life. And we read this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Acacia, or Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. And our hope for you is the firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. And indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. In this particular section of the Bible, we'll see that, that God helps us to understand the question of why we suffer. Now, there may be a dozen reasons why, but in this particular passage, Paul highlights three. And if you've got a pencil or pen with you and you want the outline that we're going to follow, it's real simple. If you look at verse 4, he says this. Why do we suffer? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. When you look through the Bible as you're reading a text and you see the word so that, it's a purpose statement and God is saying that, you know what, this is why this happens in your life. He says, so that we may be able to give comfort to those who are going through times of difficulty. 
he also goes on in verse 9 and he says, so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. And the last thing he says in verse 11 is, so that thanks may be given by many persons. So there's three reasons that he says that we suffer. One is so that we may comfort others who are going through tough times. Two is so that we don't trust in ourselves, but we trust in God. And the third is, is so that many people will give thanks because of that. And that's it in a nutshell, but we're not done because we'll go through each one of them individually. But as we go through this, you'll see that, you know what, throughout this passage, the word that's used for comfort is found no less than ten times in this section. Comfort, 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 comfort. If there's a word that God wants to get across to you is that He wants to comfort you. He wants to wrap you in His love and wrap you in a warm blanket of His grace and He wants you to feel His presence and He wants to comfort you through your sufferings and through your times of distress and persecution. And the word parakleo that is used here means to be called alongside. And this is what he's saying. The, the comfort means this, that God is called alongside of us in our time of suffering to comfort us. It's actually like he almost comes up and he just wraps his arms around you and he wants to comfort you when you're going through difficult times. It means to be called alongside of a person that's going through difficulties. So that's what he wants to do. And we need to understand we don't have, in Hebrews 4.15, it says we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us and with our weaknesses, but one who has already been tempted in all things yet without sin. And as, as David wrote in the song that he had up there, you know what, we've got a God who says, cast all your burdens and cares upon me. And what? And I'll care for you. You have difficulties, you have troubles, you have distress, you throw them on my back because my yoke is easy and I can handle it. I don't, I'm not limited, I'm not tired, I'm not failing, I, I don't need to take a, a nap, I don't need to catch a, a rest here. Throw the backpack on me and I'll carry you up the hill. And so we need to understand that's the God who says he wants to comfort us. But that doesn't really address the question of, we know he cares, but why does he allow us to go through the things that we go through? And that's the first thing that we saw. Number one, three reasons that we suffer. And it's critical to understand. That we might be prepared to comfort others. Did you follow that? Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which ourselves were comforted by God. Let me ask you a question. Who can understand what it's like to sit alongside a friend or a loved one who's dying with a terminal illness? Who knows the heartache of having a home split apart? What about someone to understand the loss of a child or the misery of a teenager on drugs or pregnant or the anguish of living with an alcoholic mate or someone that has failed in school or someone that has got cut from a team or lost their job or a business has closed down or an injury or the loss of their home or business. You know, you ask yourself, now who in the world or who on earth can understand such a thing? I'll tell you who can. The person who's been through it. The person that's been through it wrapped in the blanket of God's grace can understand what you're going through. If you've been there and done that, if you've endured the stinging experiences of difficulties in your life, and you've also experienced the comfort of God's grace as He's wrapped you around and He's held you through it, then let me tell you something. God can use you. God has a purpose in what you've gone through. You know, it's like Uncle Sam's looking for a few good men. Let me tell you something. What God's looking for 
are people that have gone through difficult times wrapped in the grace of God and comforted by his presence and he's saying you know what I can use you in this person's life see because what will happen is you're gonna come across people like that all the time in fact what I found in my life is they come across my path it's like the, the parable of the Good Samaritan you know what you're just cruising along and God will bring these people right in your path now you have a choice you can either turn from them and ignore them and you know hope somebody else stands by and picks them up or you can sense that it's God who's brought them into your life because you can be used by God to dispense grace in their life the same grace that you received when you went through difficult times now you can do something that would be a benefit to them you understand that that's incredible when we recognize what God's purpose is through suffering he's saying hey I'm gonna bring people in your life who are gonna go through maybe even what you went through or something similar to it and you're gonna be able to share with them and explain to them how my grace was sufficient for you in your time of tragedy and how I comforted you, and now you can comfort them the same way I comforted you. Give me an example. This past week I saw an article, you know, the, this whole Jane Roe story, you know, of uh, Norma McCorvey, who this past week, uh, at least there's evidence that uh, she had given her life to Christ, that she was baptized. She was the Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade. And uh, let me just read a little excerpt because I think it, it ties into what we're talking about. Uh, the pastor who had befriended her, his name was Flip Benham, and he recalled McCorvey's horror when Operation Rescue took up residence next door in March, saying she called him all sorts of names. Gradually, as Benham waved and smiled at her from across the parking lot, her guard began to break down. He would yell over to her, Miss Norma, Miss Norma, what are we going to do? He'd call out and tease her, and soon she'd become, she began calling him Flipper. <clears throat> and the two 47-year-olds were chatting about one of their favorite groups, the Beach Boys. Well, by May, they were sitting together on a park bench in front of the abortion clinic, he with his Bible and she with her fortune-telling stones. Norma would come over to the office, and sometimes she'd even pick up the phone for her. She was a friend. She felt very free in our office. There came a time when Norma wished she was in our office more than she was in their office. So McCorvey, she wasn't available for comment, but it says McCorvey and Benham had one thing in common from the beginning. Both had survived troubled pasts. He had been a saloon keeper and a drunk, she was raped as a teenager, sold drugs, dropped out of high school, and was married briefly when she was 16. She was a 21-year-old carnival barker when, pregnant for the third time, she sought her first abortion. She goes on and says this. In a television interview, she said she believed that Benham and his group truly loved her for herself. See, that's grace, isn't it? Here are two people who experienced tragedy in their life. And one found the comfort and the peace that came with giving his life to Jesus Christ. And the other had not known that experience. And he befriended her. And he loved her just where she was. He accepted her for who she was as a person, not for what she stood for and not the actions that she promoted, but who she was as an individual. And he befriended her. And God used that. That's what grace is all about. Now, he could have stood there, and he could have screamed at her, you murderer, you baby killer, you're going to burn in hell. He could have screamed all those things. And maybe even if all those things were true, the reality of all of it was is that he was gracious in his dealings with her, and he befriended her. Notice the chain of events. We suffer in a variety of ways, and all of us have different backgrounds, and we've all gone through difficult times, and, and we all share our own story. 
God came alongside of us to comfort us at some point in our life. When we recognize that, you know what, God demonstrated his love for us, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it was by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It was God's gift to us so that we couldn't boast or brag before God. We experienced God's grace. We gave him our heart. We gave him our life. We said, Lord, I need you. And we experienced his comfort. God comes alongside of us and he comforts us with his presence in our life. We become a child of God. And then he brings other people into our life who are suffering just like we had suffered at some point in time. And then we step alongside to comfort them with the same comfort, the same love, the same grace, and we lead them to Jesus Christ because He's the only source of comfort that we could ever have. And that's this process that takes place. But it doesn't happen without suffering. And there isn't any of us who want to say, please let me suffer so you can bring a whole bunch of people into my life so I can relate to a whole bunch of people. Similar experiences create mutual understanding. And grace is splashed all over the place because of it. Because of this, I know I can confidently say this. No matter what you have gone through in life, I can confidently say before God that it wasn't in vain. God has a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. And the reason for it was so that he can demonstrate how much he loves you and he can embrace you in his grace so that when other people suffer and he brings them into your life, you can in turn do the same for them and you can lead them to Christ as well. In 1988, I'll give you an example of my own personal life. In 1988, I was working for a guy in a company that, you know, was, we were doing great. He was making a ton of money and, you know, when you work for people, you make whatever they pay you. That's the way it goes, you know. And uh, so we were doing great. Well, I mean, he was doing so well that he decided that he had a, a lot of uh, extra spending money that he'd use on cocaine. So he became a cocaine addict, and one thing led to another, and we were continually having arguments and disagreements, and we were toe-to-toe -to -toe and battling back and forth, and he'd go and get money against receivables and use it for cocaine and other things, and, you know, I'd be arguing with him all the time that that wasn't right, that was wrong, we need to be doing the right, blah, blah, blah. So finally he just fired me. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, it was the most devastating experience of my life because I had never been fired in my life. I had never been cut from a team. I mean, I, I, didn't, I mean the, only, the only experience I ever had was I'd see guys that were cut and I'd say, well, they deserved it. Right? I mean, you know, it's like they weren't that good. I would have cut them too. And, and that's kind of your viewpoint on life. And, you know, you, you get what you deserve, right? I mean, you don't get accused for things if you're not, you know, if you weren't wrong. And so he fired me. This is because he won't have to deal with me. Well, after he fired me, he started telling everybody the reason he fired me was because I was stealing money. And he started spreading all kinds of stories because we had an employment agreement. And he owed me a lot of money. So basically, he had to find some way uh, from a moral turpitude standpoint or whatever it was that I was you know, guilty of something so he didn't have to pay me. So he started telling everybody that I was embezzling money and I was doing this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is interesting. But I was like, nah. You know, and even friends that have known me for a long time, they're hearing the stories going, I wonder if they're true. Because you don't fire people that are doing a good job. That doesn't make any sense. That's not rational. That's not logical. But we weren't dealing with a logical, rational person. But that's the kind of stories that were going on. Man, I'll tell you what. And it hurt. And it's like I'd look at people that knew me for 15 years and go, you don't believe that, do you? And they'd be going like, no. I don't think so. I don't think so, babe. And it was, so, it was so messed up that it's like, if I would have heard what they were hearing, I don't know what I would have believed. It was crazy. But I'll tell you what God did through that experience. He made me a lot more sensitive and compassionate to people 
who are going through similar experiences. Because I started to realize, you know what? Not everybody who is accused is guilty. Not everybody who has bad things happen to them are wrong. Just like Job and his friends. Hey, you must have done something wrong. And God said he didn't do anything wrong. He was a righteous, blameless man before God. But I had a different reason for doing what I did. And I'll tell you what, I gained a whole new appreciation for Jesus Christ and what he went through. And I'll show you where. In 1 Peter chapter 2. Talk about some comfort. This became my favorite passage during those particular times. But in 1 Peter 2, look at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Speaking of employee-employer relationships, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable, who are illogical, who are crazy, who are lunatics. And I was like, hey, I can relate to this. Let me keep reading. For this finds favor for the sake of conscience toward God. A man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin you're harshly treated and you endure it with patience? But you know, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This is what finds favor before God. It says, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept trusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he went on and bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for it's by his wounds you were healed. For you, like, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. And God's saying, quit feeling sorry for yourself. Don't you understand? Look at the example that Jesus gave you. He did nothing wrong ever in his whole life. He had never an, a wrong even thought. He was perfect, he was sinless, he was blameless before God, and they still killed him. They still accused him. They still threatened him and criticized him. But he didn't strike back. It was the will of God. Through suffering, God can remove our pride and our arrogance. He can destroy our notion of self-righteousness. <clears throat> He can give us a sensitivity toward those who hurt that we didn't have before. He can use us to dispense grace even for those who are suffering because of what they've done. Yet alone those who are suffering for nothing that they've done. And His grace helps us to see that not everyone that's suffering is suffering because they've done something wrong but they're suffering because God has allowed it and appointed it for His reasons and for His purposes. God's grace helps us to become a lot less judgmental and critical, and it helps us to become a whole lot more compassionate toward other people. See, God knows that. And you know what? And the sad thing about it is, is that God knows how much more you need to suffer in your life so that you can catch this message and this truth. There's a lot of us that are still a little self-righteous and full of pride, and God hates the proud, and he'll do whatever he takes. If you stop and think about it, think of all the organizations and the causes that are compassionate that were born out of adversity. The whole Nicole Brown Simpson Foundation for Abuse is born out of adversity. Uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving was an organization born out of adversity. Students Against Drunk Driving. I mean, go through and, and look at rescue missions and women's shelters and foster homes and 
organizations that serve physically, mentally, emotionally impaired pe people were all born out of adversity. There was pain and suffering that preceded their actions. And unbelievable as this may seem, God has a reason for our sufferings because he's preparing us so that we too might be prepared to comfort others who are suffering with the same grace that we ourselves were comforted with in our time of distress. Man, you know what? Effective ministry to other people is impossible from what I see until we have suffered and we're prepared properly to minister to others. But I don't know if too many people say, God, man, that's great. Bring it on me. It just doesn't happen that way. But the second reason is this. It's so that we might tr not trust in ourselves. Look what he says. All this stuff that we went through, all of this persecution and all this tribulation and all this turmoil, you know why we went through it? So that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. So we don't rely on ourselves anymore. That we might come to a complete end of ourselves and have a total dependence, dependence upon God in every area of our life. Some of us can be really stubborn. Some of us can be very prideful. We don't think that we need anyone else's help, and we certainly don't think we need God's help. We can manage quite well on our own. Thank you very much. But what God will do is that He'll crush that rebel's heart. God and His love will crush you. God and His love crushed me at a point in my life when I needed to be crushed, so I had nowhere to look but up. He'll just crush you, and He'll knock you flat on your backside, so that the only place you got to look is up into his face. Perfect illustration. I was a senior in high school. I was getting my wisdom teeth pulled. They were impacted and they were infected. So I had to go to the doctors and they had to give me a double dose of penicillin before they pull out my teeth. And, um, and I, was, I was playing football. I was a stud. Well, you know, it's not hard to see that that's true. <laughs> you know. But hey, you know, just it's, you know, like Dizzy Dean said, it ain't bragging if you've done it. So anyway, here's the way it is. So I go into the doctor's office, and the gal says, you know what, and it's kind of a humiliating thing, you know, at that particular time in my life when someone says, you know, drop your drawers. Uh, just like, oh, well, you know, cause, well, just how about that? Far enough? Okay. So you kind of drop it down, and right there, man, double dose, right in the hip. Oh, man. She said, you better sit down for a second. I said, hey, I don't need to sit down. I got things to do. Buckled up, walked on out checked out. They said, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Went to the door and went, The <laughs> last thing I remember was reaching for the handle, and then I just went, Ear! and then I was flat on my back. I woke up, and there was like four faces in my face. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. And it was like, oh, man. And I had nowhere to look but up. And if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. Because God has a way of doing that. It's just like, okay, you're stubborn, you're prideful, you're rebellious. Well, let me tell you something. I love you this much. Whack! Smack you upside your head and just knock you right on the ground. Now, you can crawl around all you want, and you can fight him and all that you want to fight him, and you can say, I'll be okay, don't help me up, I'll get up on my own, that's away from me. You can do that. Or you can just go, I give up. I give up. See, what Paul is saying is what God taught him was there was a point in his life where he just had to totally give it up. Just totally surrender. I mean, if you've been there, you understand. I like the saying, it says, pain plants the flag of reality in the fortress of a rebel's heart. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, you know, I, I think it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly 
until he has hurt them deeply. And I like that. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Because the bottom line is this. We are all leaning on one of two places. We're either leaning on the Lord or we're leaning on ourselves. Those are the only two places to lean. And you know what suffering does? It causes you to realize where you're really leaning. Because when God pulls that rug out from underneath you, if you're leaning on Him, you'll be wrapped in the comfort of His grace. If you're leaning on yourself and anything less than that, you're going to be miserable, you're going to be lonely, you're going to be perplexed, you're going to be hurting, you're going to be confused. If you're leaning on the rock, you've got a place to stand that will never crumble underneath you. And we need to understand that. Now, we need to recognize the fact that, you know what? God will not let up until you give up. That's the way it is. He ain't going to let up until you give up. See, Paul said, you know what? This happened, that we might re not rely on ourselves, but on God. You know why? Because God raises the dead. There's nobody going to get to heaven on their own. But it's grace we're saved through faith, and it's only God who can raise spiritually dead people. You're not going to get there on your own. You can be prideful, you can be stubborn, you can be rebellious all you want, but it's God's program, and He's the one that says this is how it goes. And it's God who raises the dead. Not only can He raise us from our spiritual death, but He's capable of raising us from even physical death. And let me tell you something, let me ask you something. Who would you rather lean on, yourself or on God who can raise the dead? You see what I'm saying? You lean on yourself, there's going to be a common point in your, time, in your life where something's going to be so much bigger than you, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. And that's okay, because God said, I'm waiting for you, because that's not too tough for me. Look around. I created the universe. I made you. I can raise the dead. And this little problem you're having in your marriage, I can raise you through that too. This little problem you're having in business, it's nothing to me. This little problem you're having with an illness, I can take care of that. This little problem in this area or that area or the other area, hey, you know what? You're coming to the right place. See, we suffer so that we might not trust in ourselves. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. We need to be totally dependent upon God. And you know what? And He won't let up until we give up. And the last thing is this, and this makes no sense at all until you get the first two points, but it's this. We suffer so that we might learn to give thanks in everything. That we might learn to give thanks in everything. You see what He says? So that we may give thanks because of what we're going through. You know what? It's only a true child of God who understands. You know what? No matter what I'm going through in life, this is great. I can consider it all joy when I face various trials. And I can know that the testing of my faith produces endurance and that endurance will have its perfect results that I'll be mature in my faith. And I can, I can consider that joy. You know why? Because God's involved. This is why I got fired. God's involved. And there's going to be a reason for it. And He's going to bring people into my life that now I can comfort and relate to that I couldn't before because I was too stubborn and rebellious and even arrogant and prideful to think that, you know what, if you got cut, you deserve to get cut. If you got fired, you deserve to get fired. If you screwed up your finances or whatever, or you got through some tough financial times, it's because you were stupid. I mean, we all go through that. We look at people around us and we say, well, you deserve what you're going through. And maybe they don't. And what God's saying, this is great. See, through your suffering, you're going to be more effective to reach other people. 
You're not going to be a self-righteous, arrogant hypocrite. I'm going to crush you so that you're broken, and then I can use you. And I can be excited about it. And I can give thanks to God for it. Because that's a, you know what? That's a bottom line is, hey, that is going to determine where you're at in your walk with God. If you don't know the Lord, you think that is the most stupid thing you've ever heard in your life. All these things you think are stupid. Because you're still back to, well, why even suffer at all? But if you know the Lord, then you begin to realize, you know what? I can thank God for this. I'm going to be able to comfort someone that God's going to bring in my life. I don't know who it is. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm looking for him, or I'm looking for her, or I'm looking for them, or I'm looking for their family. I'm looking! And also, you know what? I am totally dependent on God. I am not dependent on myself anymore because I don't have a clue what's going on in life. I don't have any strength compared to God who has infinite strength. And it's about time I just thank Him and praise Him for who He is because I am fearfully and wonderfully made before God. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's it. That's what it is. It's full circle. You see how it goes? So, I mean, look at all these things, man. This is amazing to me. God allows our suffering for three reasons. One, so that we'll be prepared to comfort others. Two, that we won't trust in ourselves anymore, but we'll trust in God. And three, so that we might learn to give thanks in everything. And if we're to experience God's grace in our times of suffering, you have to be prepared ahead of time. And that comes with giving your life, giving your heart to Jesus Christ. Don't wait for the day of distress because there'll be no comfort then. There may be afterwards because he still wants to reach out to you. He still wants to get a hold of you. But the reality of it is, is do it now and he'll prepare you then. In closing, here's a true story about a man who was, they had a Broadway edition. They were doing a, quote, biblical play. And one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the readings was that the actors were to read Psalm 23. And so they had a long list of seasoned actors that came to this particular Broadway edition and they would recite this and they would get up and they had long resumes and man, they'd go through it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And they'd go through the whole psalm and you know, yes, thank you for coming, thank you for coming, thank you. And they'd go through all this. Well, there was an older man who was encouraged to come and to do this audition, even though he had no formal acting experience, he had no training, he had no resume, he had been nothing else, but it was an open audition and his family said, hey, why don't you go ahead and try that? I mean, because, I mean, with your age and your maturity and all those, oh, it'd be perfect. And so anyway, he gets up and he, and he, and he from, heart, from his heart, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And he goes on and he recites the psalm. They say, thank you very much. And they go through and they're all sitting there. And they begin to hire the actors for the different parts. And this one part came up and they called his name. And he was surprised. He was amazed. And afterwards, the critics who were all there watching this particular process said, we don't understand. You, you hired somebody with no acting experience. You hired somebody that, that, that doesn't have a resume. You hired somebody that, you know, that doesn't make any sense to us. Why in the world did you hire that old man? And the director who had hired him said, you know what? All the actors that were here as they recited that song, oh, they all knew the song. But he said, I sensed that there was something different with this man. There was something different about him. And what I sensed was is that though they knew the song, that man, he knew the shepherd. And it makes all the difference in the world, folks. You can know the song, but there'll be no comfort in it until you know the shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And that I know mine, and they know me. If you know him, you know his voice. And you know that what I said is true.
Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this comfort that you give us, the comfort of your grace. God, we've gone through difficult times in our life and we've felt your presence. <clears throat> Those of us who have surrendered and laid down our arms and cried out to you, that have given our lives to Jesus Christ and asked Him to forgive our sins and come into our life. For those who have received Him, and whatever the terminology is, but you know our hearts and you know whether that's been done. And for those of us who have done that, you have made your presence very real to us. You're a real and personal God who loves us as a father loves his child. And God, we feel your presence and your grace and your comfort in our most difficult times in life. And those who don't know you, they, they struggle and they're confused as they see this peace and the serenity as we go through things that would frankly make them fall apart. And God, as you bring them into our life, help us to see that the purpose of our suffering is so that we can share the same comfort with them, the same comfort that you have comforted us with. That you are the God of all comfort and that you can comfort all of us in every one of our afflictions. God, help us to stop to be so dependent upon ourselves and be totally dependent on you. And to learn in everything to give thanks for that which you've allowed and that you have appointed to happen in our life. To stop complaining and moaning and groaning about every little thing that happens. To, but just to be thankful people. Recognizing that your plan is so that every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth will be confronted with your love and given a choice of how they will respond. God, help us to allow this suffering to be a time of great testimony before a world that's hurting and suffering in so many ways. And we just thank you that you are the good shepherd and that you know us and that we know your voice. And for those who don't, I just would ask that you just stir up their hearts so that they'd leave here today with a sure knowledge of who they are and who you are. That they'd just ask you to come into their life and to forgive them for their stubbornness and their pride. And just pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my stubbornness. For, for, forgive me for neglecting you and, and rebelling against you. I've tried so hard to do it on my own, and I can't do it anymore, and I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life. Make me a new creature. I accept this gift of grace that you've given, even though I don't understand it, and I don't even know what I'm doing, but I know that I need you. God, we just thank you for that, that that's all that we had to do to respond to your love. And we just praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen.